Welcome to the Hydrogen Struggles Leadership Podcast, the premier provider of leadership consulting, culture shaping, and senior level executive search services. Every day, we're privileged to talk with fascinating people who are shaping the future through their leadership and vision. Each episode, you'll hear a different perspective from thought leaders and innovators. Thanks for listening to the Hydrogen Struggles Leadership Podcast. Hi, I'm Teun van Halewijn, a partner in Hydrix Amsterdam and Brussels offices. In today's podcast, I'm talking to Piet Koelewij, the CEO of Wekamp, the first and now leading e-commerce platform in the Netherlands. Piet has previously worked around the globe for large corporations holding senior positions at Sonos, Amazon.com and Philips, amongst others. Piet, welcome and thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Thanks, Teun. Pete, can you tell us more about Wacom's journey from a small mail-order company to today's successful e-commerce platform? Can we call it a mini Amazon? Wacom was founded in 1952, indeed, as you say, as a mail-order company. And somewhere at the end of the 90s, we put the business online. 2010, uh, they cut the umbilical cord uh, to mail-order and became a full uh, e-commerce company. And the funny thing is that at every step along the way, The company innovated, and so because of the innovation mindset, um, they have always been on the forefront on innovations in retail. The retail landscape uh, is experiencing continuous disruption, and other e-commerce players are even opening real stores. How do you think the industry will look like by 2025? My view is that the core thing about digital is that you can trace customer experience and customer feedback real time. And e-commerce took early advantage of that. E-commerce really gives you a real-time feedback loop to customers where in a very focused way you can continuously upgrade the customer experience. And in offline retail, that usually hasn't been the case. Now, um, I think the future will be where all customers are recognized. So technology is ready to trace customers wherever they are, whether they're on or offline. So the fundamental difference between on and offline will disappear. Now, offline has a uh, benefit that you can physically experience the products real-time, whereas e-commerce, you cannot do it real-time. And so I think that uh, the future is tracing customers real-time. Everybody will be continuously upgrading the customer experience, And there is a role for e-commerce, which is convenience. There is a role for uh, offline, which is experiencing the products physically. And so I think uh, the distinction between on and offline will just be the physical location. And it means that Wekamp has to be ready for that future. And what we are doing is to make sure that we have the partnerships where we can uh, have the best of both worlds. And we think that the future will be there for us. That is uh, a a broad range of partnerships where we can have uh, a very broad, but at the same time very targeted omni-channel experience. Okay. And does that also mean that Wacom will have its own stores or is that still further away? Uh, That might, but the consideration is not will we have stores or not, but the consideration will be where can we provide the best customer experience? If the answer to that question is, therefore you need to own it, then we might do that. Um, But omnichannel is sure. How we do it, that depends on uh, the partners, that depends on investment profiles, that depends on technology innovation. 
Wacom's mission is to make uh, life of families nicer and easier. Um, what is the role of culture versus strategy in a transformation like that? How do you see that? Yeah, uh, uh, that's that's a very uh, good question, uh, Tone. Um, look, I've done many uh, I've done many uh, transformations, as you know, um, and uh, you know, the more I do, the more I find that actually changing the mindset of people and changing the culture in the organization is far more important than uh, actually the nitty-gritty of the individual strategies. Now, don't get me wrong, uh, uh, a good strategy is necessary to win, uh, but a good strategy that's not embedded in the right people uh, culture uh, cannot cannot work. And, and I can also say this, that an outstanding culture and the right mindset in the organization will... Um, pull through a not completely ready strategy. But yeah. the other way around is very difficult. The, the other way around is, is, is not going to work. Consistently, if you look at companies that have gone through a transformation phase, that have neglected the cultural change and the change of mindset of people, they have failed. Can you give an example or in, in the context of Wacom of how you try to influence this, the, the culture? Yeah. We defined in total 10 values that we have embedded in the organization. Five are around digital business principles. Five are around how do we get the best out, out of ourselves. But I think one of the most important things we have done is that we have created and we have structured the organization to be a learning organization. And the promise we make to the people in the organization is we grow as a company, but we can only do that if you grow. Right? So it's a handshake with the people. Change is unlearning and learning. Yeah? So um, that is how we uh, embed it in, uh, in, in, in everything we do. And sometimes people ask me, now if you balance strategy and culture, I would say 70% is culture and only 30% is strategy. And by the way, uh, a good culture will allow you to be agile on your strategy. You know, the interesting thing is so much is changing nowadays that a strategy, you need to be able to, to adapt that to the circumstances. But the ones that are successful are the ones who can master that. Not easy. So basically what you're saying is that your strategy, especially in the business that you're in, needs to evolve on a weekly or day-to-day -day basis even. Um, look, the more stable your strategy is, the more you can build on it, right? So uh, you build your strategy on things that preferably do not change, yeah? so. Being number one in head and heart of uh, families is our vision, and we do that by making their life easier, more beautiful. That is not going to change. But the way we do that, um, that may change over time. And we use the feedback that we get from our customers to adjust uh, the way we satisfy that mission on a real-time basis. Would you say it's easier to be agile for an e-commerce company than for a non-digital company? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I, I don't think there will be non-digital companies. Yeah, I think Darwinism will do its thing. Actually, there won't be a distinction. We will all know our customers and we all have our innovation loops to improve the experience. And so, uh, yeah, I, I really think uh, all, all industries will be digital and we won't talk about digital. Like now, you know, let's say uh, the first transport companies when they went from horses to cars. 
the, you know, you didn't talk about uh, the difference between, you know, drawn horses and, and, and machine horses. So the distinction digital, non-digital will disappear. A company's transformation is never easy, uh, but keeping the transformation going and keeping the revenue growth going is even harder. What do you expect from Wacom's leadership team uh, in this respect? How do you keep the momentum? There's a sort of implicit choice that you have to make. Or you change or you perform. But changing is a distraction from performing. Um, and I think um, you have to get through that uh, dilemma. right? So it means that the impact of your change has to be enhancing your performance. Now, that means uh, your changes have to immediately have effect. Fortunately, uh, with, let's say, the real-time innovation for customer experience, you don't need this gigantic innovation. Most of your innovation is small innovation that has an immediate impact. Also, the advantage of digital innovation is that you can measure the impact and you can test it. So before you do an innovation, you make sure that it has the desired results. And that makes that changing also helps you to perform your uh, business. Now, a lot of that is called agile, but it is, it's really that what you're doing. So the two are not in conflict. The two enhance each other. What has been your experience in talent management in a high-growth organization? The most important and the most difficult thing to do is to find the right leadership. Yeah, so the top-level leadership. And I have learned that if you do not start there, you will run into serious problems. You start with the top leadership and you are absolutely uncompromisable there. You, know, you don't get that right, you won't get the rest right. As the business environment is changing so quickly and if, as we have so many paradigm shifts that have been coming, um, increasingly you recruit for culture and mindset and leadership as opposed to skills and competencies. Now, one of the most critical uh, mindsets is a learning mindset. Yeah, so uh, the kind of talent, once you have the leadership team in place, the kind of talent you're looking for is much more recruiting for potential um, and for agility and for capability to deal with the changes that are coming our way as opposed to having a long track record. This is a sort of an, uh, uh, a change that a lot of senior managers have difficulty in making. That's more difficult to recruit, I would say. It's, it's more difficult to recruit, absolutely. And it's also a different kind of organization. So a lot of people think in terms of uh, talent management as what is in my organization and what is not in my organization. And I think you have to much more start thinking in sort of network view of your organization. And so if you consider part of, let's say, the succession already in your organization, they just don't work for you yet. And if you consider uh, it part of a career planning for your people that sometimes they will move to other organizations, then your whole talent pool becomes much bigger. Yeah, and That's what we try to do. And it means that you uh, can much quicker react on changes on, on what kind of people you need. It also means that you, ha that you maintain a productive relationship with the people that leave your organization. So they have left 
because there's a better opportunity for them elsewhere and it fits in their career profile rather than uh, restructuring. You want these people to be ambassadors for your company, Absolutely. right? If you have a high hiring bar, you know, 95% of your candidates won't be hired. But they think a lot about your company. Now, if you hire uh, uh, 200 people per year, you know, you talk about a big group of people that talk to a lot of people, right? So it's, it's, it's a really c- critical part of talent management. Do you agree that in a high-growth organization, one should always hire for growth? Um, yes, I, I totally agree with that. However, <laughs> that doesn't necessarily mean size. Uh, and what do I mean here? I said earlier, the capability to learn and to have the mi- right mindset is, is one of the critical uh, skills uh, to hire for. And if you have somebody that has, for instance, managed a very big P&L, but can't learn, then you have hired for where your business will grow into, but you have skipped some of the most critical skills. Yeah? So in terms of hierarchy, Yes, you hire for a bigger role, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they have managed a much bigger business. Yeah, that's very clear. What happens to the people that cannot keep the pace of change? Uh, You've already mentioned that they need to stay ambassador for the company. Uh, Do you actively follow them, stay in touch with them? Yeah, uh, uh, look, as the organization uh, develops, uh, so we learn, the people learn, right? That's the handshake we have. And a lot of them will succeed. Some of them will not succeed. Some of them will have different priorities in their lives. And if you did a good job in your hiring and did a good job in your development, then it is part of your talent management that you outplace people. Yeah, and you stay in touch with them, and, uh, and sometimes they come back. And uh, what is very important that you take as a leader ownership of the career of people after they've left you. When you think about traditional companies, there's always this debate about role description. What is a person supposed to do? Would you agree that in an organization like yours, um, that the role definition is sometimes less clear and maybe on purpose, that it's evolving? Uh, how do you deal with that, first of all, when you're recruiting, but also when you bring new people into the organization? Yeah, we call our organization a fluid organization. And that means that roles of people change all the time. By the way, the structure of the organization changes all the time. We structure our organization according to the priorities of our business and not the other way around. And so, yes, you you, you hire for potential, you hire for learning capabilities and all those kind of things. And the role is going to change, you know, probably within six to 12 months anyway. There will have been many lessons throughout your career in how to best incubate and support continuous growth and transformation. What is the one that stands out for you? The most important that, uh, thing that I've learned is that hiring the right people, developing in the right way, making sure the organization grows with, uh, let's say, the top and the bottom line. In other words, managing people and culture is by far the most imp- important thing that a leadership team does and that a CEO does. You get that right, uh, I've said it before, you can afford uh, a couple of mistakes. You get that. You don't get that right. It doesn't matter what you do in the rest. We have grown up in an organization where control and process management and re-engineering were key terms, uh, and that is no longer the truth. It is uh, change. It is learning. Uh, what are the key terms of the future? 
and let's say how organizations uh, are structured is part of that. Yeah? And I always say, really, structure is the enemy of digital. What really is the most important thing for Wecamp is uh, the promise we made to our people. We grow and you grow. But for us to grow, it's not only a promise to you, it's also a condition for us to grow. If you look at the, at the world, <laughs> to put it uh, like that, there's different levels of comfort with change. And as you know, Tony, I've, I've lived three years in, uh, in China, 11 years in Asia. And particularly in China, where the velocity of change and the impact of change is just mind-boggling. In China, change is the constant between phases of stability. In the European culture, change is a temporary situation between phases of stability. Does that also explain part of the success of the Chinese e-commerce companies? Absolutely, because as, let's say, agility becomes more important, the capability to change becomes more important, right? That's the whole lesson. So I'd say it's the whole message in this interview, really. Pete, thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedule and for participating in the Heidelberg and Struggles Leadership Podcast. Thank my, you. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Heidelberg and Struggles Leadership Podcast. To make sure you don't miss more future shaping ideas and conversations, please subscribe to our channel on the podcast app. And if you're listening via LinkedIn, Twitter, or YouTube, why not share this with your connections? Until next time.